And we thank you, oh God, that in a special sense you are present with us, for you have indwelled those who are your people through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so right now, by the ministry of the Spirit of God, would you move in a way that we would be able to enter into your courts wherever we are with thanksgiving. And then as one, we will celebrate your presence. Oh God, we ask that you would be glorified today. Oh God, I pray that we would sanctify this time, that we would turn our full attention to what thus saith the Lord. Now have your way, oh God. We ask this in the matchless name of our Savior and Lord and soon coming King, Jesus the Christ. Amen. 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 We praise the Lord. We praise God for this another time to gather in this place we call the church. But we know that the church is really the body of Christ. And so even though the building is not open to the public for, for public gatherings, the church continues. Amen. Amen. Now turn in your copy of the Word of God. We are, this is the last Sunday in 2020. And uh, as we are preparing to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm thinking about the millions of Americans who are going to lose their insurance starting today, I believe. Many who are losing unemployment benefits and are facing eviction. Oh, God of mercy and grace, I pray that you would cover them I also pray, oh God, that you would give us eyes to see that we are your hands, your eyes, your feet, your mouth, and that as we are operating as the body of Christ, that we would meet needs, that we would not turn a blind eye to those who are struggling, even for members in our own family that might not even tell us. May we ask, may we even be intrusive enough to not wait for a yes, but God, that we would extend from the blessings that you bestowed upon us, that we would give food, that we would give whatever is needed to help people to be sustained during this difficult time. God, I pray for the leadership in Washington and just the, the lack of wisdom and the callousness. Oh God, I believe that the reason why we are in this condition right now is because this country through your church has turned away from you. And so, God, may we recognize that until we return, that this is just the beginning of what is ahead of us by way of discipline and judgment. Father, we do ask this, and I pray that those who are under the sound of my voice would respond accordingly. In 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 12 uh, through verse 19 in this chapter the epistle of Peter to the scattered, to the diaspora, the scattered church. Uh, beginning in verse 12, we read, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you, test you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy if you are reproached for the name of Christ. Blessed are you for the spirit of the glory, glorious, for the spirit of glory and God's rest upon you. On their parts, he is blaspheming, but on your part, he is glorified. May the Lord add a response of obedience to his word as the Spirit of God works on our hearts. Amen. Uh, for those of you who are like myself that secretly admire the military at a distance as a civilian, you may not be aware that the most prestigious training academy for future officers in the U.S. Army is West Point. Engraved in a stone monument on the grounds of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point are the words, a cadet will not lie, cheat still, or tolerate 
those who do. Several days ago, the Academy was shaken to its core when it discovered that the second largest cheating scandal in the history of West Point was exposed. Some 73 cadets, all but one first-year student, were first-year students, were caught cheating on a final math exam. The test was taken remotely because of the coronavirus pandemic. And what's funny about how they got caught is that all of them got the same answer wrong. <laughs> and what that means is they weren't only trying to pass the test, they all intended to ace the test. Now, can you imagine if all of the students taking the test got a straight A? You might not be able to prove they cheated, but they all got the same answer wrong. Now, what makes this so serious is that these future officers will be responsible for protecting the lives of their troops and potentially millions of Americans. If you can't trust those who are in charge to pass a math test without cheating, how can you trust them with the nuclear codes? and or other sensitive classified information. Now, while I said I've never served in the military, while a seminary student at Dallas, we also operated by an honor code. And two of the most difficult honor codes for me and others as future pastors was, was the, there, there were two. And one of the honor systems requirements was at the end of every exam. Now remember, at Dallas Seminary, a 94 is a B plus. So at the end of every exam, you were given a five-point question that asked, did you complete the assigned reading? Let me just leave it like that. And then the second uh, test that was really difficult especially late at night when you're studying, the vending machines did not require coins. You picked what you wanted, and then there was a basket on the side <laughs> that you're supposed to leave your money once you picked what you wanted, and the money just sat there, and I'm from North Philly now, come on. The money just sat there, and, and nobody uh, really was watching to see if you paid but if for whatever reason you were unable to pay, you were supposed to write your name uh, to let uh, the vendor know that you would eventually uh, make good on your purchase. Now, I'd like to stand before you and say I never, <laughs> never broke that honor code, honor code. But we'll just move on from, I, I, this is not a time of confessing, but I, I didn't get it right all the time. I had to do some confessing about that, have you read all the required reading on occasion, get those five points, and Lord forgive me. But the key thing as we think about the fact that you may never, like me, serve in the military or be a part of an honor code, an honor code at work or but all of us on a daily basis are being placed in situations where we are being tested. And the question that God is concerned about in our private world, when, when, when we're talking about character and integrity, is who are you when no one's looking? Are you passing the test? Because every test, uh, every time I I say I did the reading. If I didn't do it, the, 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 I didn't get a numerical deduction. I, I actually got five points. But the deduction was God was preparing me for a greater test. And because in private I failed the smaller, the simpler, the easy, easier test, I was being set up for a bigger failure. And so the way you respond when you are tested will reveal where you are spiritually. 
And sometimes we think we, 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 we're, we're more mature in the Lord than we, than we really are until, until God tests us. Now, in 2020, the church has been tested by the coronavirus plague. And if you are honest and take assessment of yourself, the question you and I must answer is this. As we have undergone this test of isolation and for many discouragement, how have you done? I want to suggest to you that the church in general has not passed the test. The church has failed miserably. I'm talking about the universal body of Christ, particularly in America. We have become more identified in this test of who is Lord of our lives with a political party than we are to our commitment to Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, the aged apostle Peter, who walked with the Lord Jesus Christ and witnessed his bodily resurrection, is nearing the end of his earthly life. And he tells believers to get ready to be tested in a way that they had never experienced before. The, the test results will not be judged on a nu numerical or alphabetical grading scale. But the issue will be as we move in terms of how we personalize the message from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, is how are we going to be prepared for the test that lie ahead of us in 2021? Tell somebody wherever you are, prepare for your test. Prepare for your test. Now, the interesting thing, most of us are looking at 2020. We can't wait to get this behind us. And, and this has been the worst year of my life. I can't believe that over 320,000 people have been struck down by a virus. And only uh, God knows how many people have actually died as a result of coronavirus. And so we can't wait to get into 2021. But I want you to know that the test isn't over. In fact, I believe that what we are going through right now is preparing us for even greater tests. And so the question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the test? And I want to show you from the Word of God, I'm going to give you five things that you're going to need in 2021 from the Word of God, how to prepare to pass your test, how to be prepared to grow through the, the trials and the experiences that the Lord allows us to encounter as we're going forward. And I don't know about you, but I, some of us need to move beyond being in our spiritual pampers. We need to get out of the playpen. We need to walk away from carnality and, and being worldly in our thoughts and our actions. God is calling for us to grow up. He said, by now, you ought to be teaching somebody. By now, you ought to be discipling somebody. But too many of us, instead of growing through our test, we keep flunking the test, and then we are able to give a superficial uh, external uh, answer to people to make it appear that we've actually grown, but there's really no substance to us because we have not properly responded to the test that God has brought our way. Now, so the first thing that needs to happen, if you are going to be prepared for the test in your marriage, as a husband, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as an employee or an employer, the first thing that needs to happen is that you need to accept it. Accept it. The word accept means to give your consent to receive something offered with approval or favor. To give your consent to receive something that has been offered with approval or favor. If Amazon brought a package to your house this morning that required a signature, I don't care if a million dollars is in the box. If you don't accept the gift, if you don't accept the package, if you don't sign off on it, if you don't give consent and permission or approval, the package is going back on the truck. So the scripture is going to show us that if you and I are going to 
be the kind of believers that God can depend on. If we're going to be vessels of honor, if we're going to be those who can speak with spiritual authority, and when we speak, not a word from our mouth will fall to the ground. I don't know about you, but I don't just want to be an ordinary, mundane, routine Christian. When I open my mouth, I want to speak with the divine authority. And the reason we can, we understand that we have the word of God. But if you're not applying the word of God, then your confidence in the word will not be what it ought to be so that you will operate with full, full assurance that when you're speaking because of your, your life lining up with the word of God and having been obedient to your test, that now supernatural things are occurring. You don't have to be a pastor for supernatural things to occur. And so we need to accept it. Listen to what the word of God says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the package called fiery ordeals or trials that have come to test you as though something strange, unusual, shocking has happened. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't, go, don't, don't lose your mind over this as something un, un, unethical or out of the ordinary has occurred. The package that the Holy Spirit gave the apostle Peter to deliver is for a specific group of people. Now, you don't need to accept this package that I'm talking about if you don't belong to this class of people that Peter singles out. He says, beloved, dearly beloved, my dear friends. It's interesting that the Greek word that the apostle Peter is directed by the Holy Spirit to use is the word agape toy. And, it, and the word agape toy means to be dearly and tenderly loved by God unconditionally, to be loved by God intimately without any strings attached. It means, it describes the type of love that God has for believers. It isn't infatuation that is based on feelings. It's not blind love. God is not saying, well, I love everybody. You know how we say, I love everybody. And I just, I just want to know. God is not saying, I'm, I love, God does love everybody, but not everybody is his beloved. It's not infatuation, not blind love. It's not based on merit so you can earn a couple of, of love biscuits from the Lord. It's not based on even how much you love God. This is I loved you first kind of love. A beloved love is I loved you first. It is a it is a, I choose, you, I choose you as the object of my love. Even when you were totally objectionable, God chose you. He loved you first. We are his beloved. We are dearly and tenderly and intimately loved by God unconditionally. It is a love based on full knowledge of every single detail of our lives, our private and public life. There is nothing that is hidden from God, but he yet holds us in his bosom, in his arms, as his beloved, as those who are tenderly and intimately loved unconditionally. It's intimate because he declares it to the world. He wants the world to know that we are his beloved, that we belong to him. It is, a, it is supernatural in, 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 in its nature, nobody can love us the way God loves us. That's why we sing the song, Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus. It is, we are his beloved. We are intimately and completely, unconditionally loved and embraced by the Father who chose you first. He chose when we were sinners when we were without God. The Bible says, while we were without strength, while we were yet in our sin, we were like sheep without a shepherd. We were not proceeding after God. We were running from God, but he pursued us by this unconditional love, and he embraced us, and now we as members of his family through Jesus Christ are God's beloved. And so those who must accept it are those who belong to him. So this letter, this package is not for everybody. This test is only, you, you can only get signed up for this test if you are a member of God's divine family. Now, how do you become a member of God's divine family so that now you are in a category of love that makes the sick, that, that marks you out as different from all of God's creation? You're not just loved by God, but you are his beloved 
The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as receive Jesus, to them he gives the right to become the, re- the beloved of God, even to those who believe in his name. And so when you place your trust in the, in, in the finished work of Jesus, you become a member of the family of God, God's spiritual family. All of creation is God's from God's handiwork, but not all of creation is a member of his divine family. We must accept Christ. We must consent to him coming into our lives. And so when we consent to the beloved coming into our lives, we now therefore have this test that we need to prepare for, this test. And whether you, whether you prepare for it or not, the test is coming. <laughs> Uh, in fact, whether you are uh, conscious of it or not, you are in a test right now. Because if you ignore the test, that means that you are simply just, uh, uh, you, you are in the process of failing it. We become members of the family of God, become the beloved through trusting Christ as our personal Savior. Now, why do we, the beloved, need to accept this testing that, that I'm talking about as a part of the Christian experience? You see, there's a false teaching that basically encourages Christians to skip the cross en route to the crown. We don't want to go, we, the church doesn't want to go through anything. We keep trying to take shortcuts to spiritual maturity. And uh, while I love the convenience of a microwave, I don't want a microwave savior. I don't want a microwave marriage when, 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 when there's real trouble in, in, in my life. I, I want to have a mate that, you can, that, that, that has some substance in, and, and that you can go through the difficulties with. I don't want to have a microwave bank manager handling my little bit of money. I don't want to have a microwave doctor telling me about my prognosis. No, we want something that has roots. We want something that is established. And so for those uh, uh, those movements that are teaching that all you got to do is name it and claim it, I want you to know that that's not the teaching of Scripture when it comes to testing or being tested. Too many Christians don't want to study. We want to, we want to, we, we want to take shortcuts. We done downloaded God. And so what we're doing, we've got people in positions of leadership that have, that have no substance to them. And so when we face times like this, the church is silent because we don't have a response, because we don't know enough about this book of diagnosis and prognosis and, 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 and what God has to say about how to go through our difficult times. So the first thing is that you need to accept, you need to accept the fact that this thing that God has called us to is something that you need to consent to. You can, you can kick against it, you can fight against it, but until you accept it, the package will not be, will not be properly un, un, opened and made useful for your personal growth and development. So if you're going to go spiritually, you must accept it through God's, that you are God's beloved. And you must decide to handle your troubles biblically. That's a decision that every Christian needs to make. It's one thing to sit in the church and talk about, I love Jesus. Oh, how great God is. How do you respond when trouble comes? How do you handle the pandemics of this, uh, the, that we're facing? How do you handle things when they don't go the way that you think they ought to go? How do you handle it when those superficial answers that they told you would work don't work? How are you? You need to accept, you need to consent that God, whatever you bring my way, I will respond in obedience. We need to do like Mary did when the angel said that you, although you were virgin, you are going to have a child. She said, your will be done. Accept, accept that you're going to respond on a biblical basis. Now, not only do you need to accept, but you need to expect trouble and, and testing. Uh, uh, listen to what the scripture says. Don't you think it's strange concerning the fiery trials which, you're, which, you will be, which, which try you? To expect something is different from accepting it. When you expect something, it means that you have a strong belief that something will happen in the future. You believe that it's going to happen. And so what Peter is saying, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Expect that trouble is going to knock on your door. It's not going to ask your permission Sickness doesn't say, well, on the 23rd of December, you need to be 
you need to be watching because I'm going to deliver some sickness to your house. And no, no, it doesn't come as a welcome guest. But what we need to do, the Bible says, expect that we are going to be tested. Now, most of us, uh, as I've already said, we, we want to get through this, this uh, 2020, but the Lord says, I've got other things in mind. I've got other things in mind. So how do you expect, prepare yourself, when you, when you know that testing is going to come, what do you need to do? First of all, you need to stop acting surprised when time, when it's your time to take a test. Stop panicking. Stop overreacting. Be careful what you say to yourself. The Bible says, and we, we say this all the time, the power of life and death is in our tongue. We start talking, never always, it is going to always, it's going to get worse, it ain't going to get better. We think the worst first. No, stop panicking. Stop being, stop acting surprised. Stop responding on an emotional level. You can be emotional without emotions controlling you. We have to press past our feelings. The Bible says if you do what is right in your circumstance, you will feel right. Don't let the, your feelings drive your, your, your decision. Allow your decisions to drive your feelings. Stop acting surprised when it's your time. Your test is coming. So when it happens, just, be, just understand that God has already said there has no temptation that has taken you, but such that is common to man. He said, I am, is he fa- I am faithful, and I will never allow you, whatever you're going through, as hard as it may seem, stop acting in, in your feelings because you're not overwhelmed because the God who controls the ship is still on board, and his name is Jesus. You believe that he's faithful. God is showing us something in our test. Do you believe that he's faithful? Do you believe that he's greater than your storm? Do you believe that he answers when you call? Do you believe that you can look into the hills from which come your help comes from your, the Lord? Not, in, not, beca- not, in, not because of your circumstances, but in spite of them. Start expecting. So stop being surprised, but start expecting fiery trials. While problems are common to all humans, the Apostle Paul uses a very, Apostle Peter uses a very a different Greek word. He says fiery trials. He's talking about extreme difficulties will come in our lives. And the interesting thing about these extreme difficulties, it, 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 is, it, is, it is personalized, it's individualized. What may be extreme to one is not necessarily extreme to another. It's not necessarily extreme to another. Amen. Um, and so what he's saying, but when these trials come, the kind that are going to come, they're going to be, they're not going to be lightweight, they're going to be difficult. And so the picture that whenever the, word, the, the symbolism of fire, when it's a, a, a connected to God, it always has something to do with either divine judgment, discipline, or testing for growth. And so the term that Peter uses here, he's talking about a testing, a trial, an experience that God is using for growth. And what happens in, in, in the pictures, it's talking about the refiner's fire, the fire of God. When he wants to burn away the impurities, the corrosion, the things in our life that are not like Jesus, the, the, the heat the intensity of the trial, the greater the trial, the more God is trying to tear away from our lives those character flaws that don't reflect Christ in us. And so while we don't want to be under the, we don't want to be under the intense heat of testing, we don't want to be going through nothing because it's hard, it's difficult. And believe me, uh, uh, what God teaches us in the midst of our tears, in the midst of our pain, while we are under the intense heat of the of the, of, the, of the refining fire of God, and he's burning away those characteristics that don't reflect Jesus, what we learn is how to pray. The Bible says, let patience, it says, count it all joy when you are being tested, because let patience have its perfect word, that we need, we need to learn how to endure. That means we need to learn what happens when you're going through, and the heat of trials are, is so heat, so, so intense from the heat of God who's trying to develop us that it teaches us how to wait, that God is faithful, that God can be depended upon, that God can sustain me even while 
I'm in the fiery furnace. He's, he, he's sustaining me. And here's the interesting thing. When, when, whenever gold was being made, they would put it in intense heat, sometimes up to 1,000 degrees. And the hotter the temperature, the more of the impurities and the purer the gold. And so Job, Job says, when I, he said, though he try me and takes me through the fire, when I come out of the fire, I will be as pure gold. And what it means to be like pure gold, the Bible says that Christ came and left the spirit of God so that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so when the world looks at us, when we respond to our test properly, when they see the reflection on the gold, when they see the reflection in our life, what they're actually seeing is the light of God shining through us that causes them to give him glory because now instead of seeing you because if it was you you couldn't have handled it if it was you you would have been cussing if it was you you would have been fighting if it was you you would have gone somewhere and jumped off of a bridge but because the Lord is giving you his peace in the midst of what you're going through now in your obedience to that peace the reflection that is coming through your conduct and your test people see Jesus and so while you, if you're going through right now, God is trying to show you something about your character. God is trying to take something away that doesn't need to be there. There's some excess baggage. There's some luggage. There's some things you need to grow out of. There's some things that you need to learn about the faithfulness of God. And so don't fight against what you should be expecting, but accept it so because the longer you're fighting, the longer the test. God is trying to remove some dross. God is trying to remove some draw. So expect it. Accept that even though you're God's beloved, you are not going to get excused from a class called cross-bearing. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. None of us, you, we want the crown. We want the stage. We want the spotlight. We want the title. We want the prestige. But we don't want to pay the price. And the dangerous thing is that people will take the gift and the, the charisma and, 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 and the possibility of you adding to numbers or, or, or the possibility of what you can add to their, their bank account and, 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 and really pimp the gift. And the character has never been developed. Your gifts will take you no higher than your character is able to sustain you when you get there. Your gifts can get you into the room, but character will keep you in the room. Expect the test. But also, you can do a third thing. Celebrate it. Accept it. Expect it. Celebrate it. Verse 13 says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Blessed when I'm being tested. Blessed when this stuff hurts. Blessed when I'm in the flame. Blessed when I feel like I'm going under. Blessed when it doesn't seem like I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. He said, yes, you're blessed. For the spirit of the glorious God, the Holy Spirit, is resting on you. Let me just share quickly four reasons why you can celebrate in the middle of your trials. That's what James says. Consider it all joy. When you are tested, we, we can look back and celebrate. Man, that was a hard time. Man, I didn't think I was going to get through. And man, I, I just can't imagine. But the Lord says, don't wait until the battle's over. He, he wants us to shout. Now, how can you do that? First of all, in, this, in, in these verses 13 and 14, the first thing says rejoice because you are a partaker in the suffering of Christ. Partaking is, in his suffering means crucifixion. It means now, I can rejoice as a partaker in crisis, as a partaker in crisis suffering, because when I became a Christian, I was co-crucified with Christ. I was co-buried with him. And now in, through salvation, I have, when Christ came back on the third day, I am co-resurrected. And so and when, it, when you apply that personally, to me, to, to suffer with Christ means that I am dying. I am being crucified every day to the flesh to those things that don't please God. And so I can rejoice because I'm growing. I am forsaking those things that the Bible says the old things are passed away. Well, when I am partaking in Jesus' suffering, we experience in, a, in, a, in, in our actual walk that those old things, I'm dying to my flesh. What have you died to lately? 
What has changed about you? Are you really crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, you live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the faith that I now have, I have in the one who died for me. Are you, die, are you dying daily to your flesh? When you look at yourself as a husband, what are you dying to? Are you loving your wife more sacrificially as Christ loved the church? Wife, are you coming under the authority? Are you coming under the authority of your husband as unto the Lord every single day, which is difficult, but in order for you to do it, it's supernatural. You've got to die to yourself. And when you die to yourself, what the new man that is already abiding in you, the Bible says, he who began a good work will perform it until the day of redemption because God is in you working out to perform, to perform his will through you. He's working out what he's already worked in. In other words, when I allow the flesh to be crucified, that which dies gives life to the resurrected new man. And now God can release me to greater, greater ministry, greater uh, uh, intimacy with him. And so sometimes what we fail to die to is the very thing that keeps us from being loose. If Lazarus had not been loosed of his grave clothes, he would have never come out of the tomb. You've got to die to something to come to where God is leading. Come on. Now, rejoice because you're partaking. Here's the second thing. Rejoice because when Jesus returns, you will have no future regrets. He says, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed, I believe that there are going to be many Christians at the end of their lives, and I see it over and over again as I'm standing at the bed of those who are leaving this world and busting out, leaving this world and entering into eternity. The greatest, uh, uh, when you listen to them, the thing that they, they focus on the most are regrets, things that they should have done, could have done. And so when we respond to the test in a spiritual way, based on the word of God, what happens when the Lord, if he came today, you won't have any regrets because what he gave you to do today, you did it. And so rejoice, we can rejoice because when Christ returns, I won't have any future regrets. You'll be overjoyed. Rejoice because you are presently being blessed and will be blessed in the future. That's what happens. He says you are blessed. You have, you have a reason to be glad. You have a reason to be favored. God is saying, I'm marking you out as one of mine because you identify with me. This is almost like when, when back in the day when you joined the game, you had to be initiated. In order to be, to be accepted, you had, they gave you an assignment, and often that meant you had to fight somebody, steal something, or, 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 or do something crazy. And once you did that, then they gave you their favor. They gave you their blessing. Now you have their covering to be a hoodlum, <laughs> to be a gangster. And we risk our lives to do those kinds of things. And what the Lord is saying, when you identify with me, when you're willing to pass the initiation of saying, whatever the Lord has called me to do, I am willing to do it in a biblical way under the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is saying, my covering is over you. My favor is on you. Not just when you get to heaven for your reward, but you have my favor in, your, in the present because I am blessing you even in the midst. Because you understand as you're going through your test, you've seen in your experience that the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Rejoice. Here's a thwart for you. You can rejoice because the glory of the Holy Spirit of God is resting on you. The Holy Spirit. When I'm going through my test, and I'm not acting overwhelmed and not giving into my feelings. Let me just put it that way. I'm not going to give him my feelings. The Bible says that the reason I can rejoice and celebrate my test as I'm identifying with Christ is because the Holy Spirit of God is resting on me. What that means is that in the midst of all that you're going through, the, you have the peace of God. You have an inward tranquility you have an inward, you have a covering. The storm is happening all around you, but the shelter, the covering of God is over you, and you can sleep like a baby in the midst, middle of your storm. The Holy Spirit is rest. He is our comforter. He's coming alongside you. He's the one who's giving you words of reassurance. He is the one who's causing you to know that it's going to be all right. The Holy Spirit is available to you in the midst of your testing. Are you depending on the Spirit? Or are you depending on your flesh? 
you can rejoice because the glory of the Holy Spirit is resting on He's resting on you. That, that's an excellent analogy. While you would be terrorized and frustrated, the Holy Spirit is resting. And so one of the ways I know that I'm depending on the Holy Spirit is that in the midst of what I'm going through, I can be resting. I can have calm. One of the most humiliating things in my life growing up, my cousin, whose mother died, lived with us. And we had the assignment of picking up surplus food once a month. We had a red wagon, and we'd have to walk from 32nd and Dolphin to 23rd and Clearfield, risking life and limb. It didn't matter how cold it was. It could be snowing, raining. We had to go up there and get that Spam and powdered egg, that government cheese and butter. And we had to get it home in time. That butter be so hard, even though we walked all those miles to get it. The butter be so hard, it'd be still hard by the time you got it. And so as you're walking back in that wagon, your friend said, go get that free food. Go get that free food. Go get that free food. And you be like, man, you be trying to hide under the wagon. You be so embarrassed. You're getting surplus food. But guess what? I ain't never turned none of those powdered eggs down. Man, I didn't know you could have spam in so many different ways. And that cheese, oh God, I guess I'm who I am today because of the surplus cheese. We did that for years. And nobody ever asked us, do you want to? Would you volunteer? No, we didn't have a choice. But my mom knew how to hook up some surplus food. Now, I was embarrassed going to get it. But when I look back at that experience, what, what was a test? Could I, could I, would, I, would I worry more about what my friends wanted versus what my, what my parents expected? Would I come to understand that God was using that experience back then, making me, my cousin, and I walk through cold, walk long miles. I was learning how to take care of a family. I was learning how to be a provider. I was learning not to make excuses for inclement weather. I was learning not to crumble under pressure. I was learning that I could do it if I just made up my mind. And so what, what you what we despise, what, we, what we're trying to run away from. I believe that God is trying to use it to teach us how to be mature in him as husbands and wives and children and employees. God is using those surplus days, those tests that you're going through that you can look back at now and saw, you saw it as why. I wish I didn't have to, but God was using that experience to help you to be who you are now. How many, I, I, most parents would not even think of allowing their children to be outside if it's, it's too cold. I've got to drive you half a block. And because we have not allowed our children to experience tests and to make tough decisions in, 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 in situations where we're not giving maximum in input, our kids don't know how to cope. They don't know how to resolve problems now. But I want you to know you can celebrate. I'm celebrating those times that I was embarrassed, but I obeyed. I obeyed. I passed the test of obedience. And as a result, I am who I am today. I really believe that the, 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 the degree of physical conditioning that I have today at 66 years old goes back to those surplus wagon days, walking all those miles in the cold. We all forgot the peanut butter. Peanut butter was good, too. Mm -hmm. Now, here's, here's the fourth thing. Let me run on. Rise above it. So we're going to celebrate. We're going to accept it. We're going to expect it. But we're going to also rise above it. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any, any kind of criminal or even a meddler, busybody, a gossiper. However, it sh you should be suffering as a Christian. Do not be ashamed. But praise God that you, that you bear his name, for it, is the, for, for it is time for judgment to begin with, the, with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Here's some things, quickly. Here's what the Lord is saying. Here's how you rob, rise above your testing in a way that honors God. Avoid suffering needlessly. Some of the stuff that we're going through right now is because of sins that we committed, and now we're reaping what we've sown. 
He said, don't suffer because of godlessness. So avoid needless suffering. So some of the things that you're going to do, the stuff that you broke up when you were angry, now you got to buy it again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that, that job, I'm, they made you so mad, they looked at you and called you a name. You just packed your stuff up and went home. Okay, you unemployed, they still working. Avoid needless suffering. Here's another thing that you can do. Give God a crazy praise. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. And that, and that makes no sense. You're hurting things are going out of control, and you just don't know what's going to happen next. He said, don't be ashamed. Instead, give God a crazy. It's crazy to praise him in the fire. It's crazy to praise him when you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But he's saying what we ought to do sometimes when you would give up and give out, Take a minute and say, I'm just going to praise him. Not because of what I'm going through, but in spite of what I'm going through. Because in the midst of all that I'm going through, the Lord, you've been good. God, you've been faithful. God, you've never forsaken me. We ought to just, and sometimes your victory is in your praise. God is waiting to give you the victory, but you need to give him a crazy praise. Don't, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad. No, no. I'm talking about a crazy praise. It might be in the hospital with the doctors looking at you. It might be at work. And all of a sudden, you just break out and say, thank Thank you, Jesus. Bless your name. Give him a crazy place in the midst of your test. Remember, here's the third thing. Remember that there are consequences for failing your test. He says, for the time is coming for judgment to begin in the household of God. You can't fail the test because I'm mad at my wife. I'm mad at him. And I ain't going to do No, no. When you fail the test, God says, judgment begins with my house. And so there's a consequence when you don't do right or you try to cut corners on the test that God gives you. Finally, finally, here's the fifth thing. Trust God's word for the outcome. Listen to what the scripture says. So if you are suffering, if you're being tested in this manner, that, in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you who will never fail you. Keep trusting God and his word as you are going through the test. God has never failed you. This is what the test is all about. How, not how big your problem is, but how big is the God who is above and greater than your problem? Is God greater than your problem? You'll know by how you respond. This word in trust comes from, a, 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 it's a technical word, it's a commercial word. It means to, uh, it's a banker's term. It means to deposit, put your, put, put your money or your, what, what's valuable to you in a, in a box. And, and it means that you, you are depositing it for safekeeping. And so what the Lord is saying, I want you to take your life, your family, and everything that I've entrusted to you, put it in, my, in the safety of my hands. Put it, in, put it under my care. So in the midst of the test that we're facing going forward in 2020, you need to trust God in his word. Trust God for the outcome. God has never failed. He never goes back on his word. And everything that God does is wise and it is best. So if God is going to do what is wise and what is best, why aren't you trusting him? Why aren't you trusting him? Some of you who are sports fans, like me, I love watching highlights. And the players who, who, who are being highlighted like watching their highlights. That, that you, watch, you watch the highlights, and the guy will dunk the one who's spectacular dunks, and then you find out later he didn't, he didn't score any other points in the entire game. I want you to know that the coach is not interested in his players' highlights. What the coach looks at is the game film. And in the game film, he, he isolates each player to see if they pass the test of doing their assignment. And based on whether you did your assignment, it don't matter what, your, what the offensive line did or the quarterback, if you're the running back, the question is, did you pass your test of doing your assignment? And you will get graded based on whether you executed your assignment when you were tested in the game. God is not interested in your highlights. I know you may be impressed with yourself. I know you got a pretty exciting profile. I know you may have a great 
following on Twitter and Instagram. But God is not looking at our highlights. God is looking at how are you responding in the test with the assignment that I've given to you. Are you walking in obedience? Are you trusting me in the midst of it? Are you accepting what I've given you to do? Are you growing in grace? Are you looking in more and more like Jesus? Are you able to say what the Lord would say in the midst of those times when you feel like saying those, those words that are not like what Christians should speak? God is not interested in your highlights. God is looking at the game film. He's looking at what you're doing on the field of life to show if you are, in fact, passing the test. Oh, church, we're going to be tested in ways, I believe, that we've never been tested before. I want you to know that the time where people will say, oh, he's a Christian. I'm not going to do this or not going to do that because they're around. No, I believe those days are over. The church has bowed down at the altar of politics. And there's an anger in this country towards the church. It was already there, but now... The question will be, are you going to stand on the Lord's side? Are you going to be willing to tell people when it's not popular that I'm a Christian, that I believe Jesus not only died for me, but he was buried? I, I, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Are you willing to say that in the midst of what we're getting ready to face? I believe that if you do, the rest, the Holy Spirit who rests upon you will give you the authority to be able to speak into the lives of those who are angry, those who have questions. Why did Christians identify with a party rather than preaching the gospel? Why did Christians ignore character instead of lining up with the same word that they say everybody else has to live by? You can be able to say, them, say to them based on, I don't know what they did, but I'm committed to passing the test for my personal assignment, and here's what God has taught me through my obedience to him. You'll be able to share, but are you willing to take the test? Are you willing to pass the test by being obedient? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we bless you. Father, we also can look back and, and say from our experiences, Father, that you have been faithful, that the Holy Spirit truly, the glorious Holy Spirit of God has rested on us. Father, there's no way that we should have been able to respond in, in the manner in which we did. Father, we should have caved into fear. Father, we should have turned back to some old habits. But because of the residing Holy Spirit, because of the peace that he gave us in the midst of that experience, we can say that you enabled us to pass the test. God, I pray that this year, 2020, as we look at our commitments as Christians, may we not lie to ourselves. One of the greatest ways Christians fail is that we lie to ourselves about where we really are spiritually. Father, there are areas in our life that have been exposed through this experience of the pandemic. Father, we're not trusting you with our giving. Some have stopped, churches are closing because the church, the members aren't giving anymore. Father, I pray that you would show us that even though we're not gathered in present, that that doesn't mean that we're not the body of Christ and that we should not be caring for one another. Father, many marriages are under great attack and divorces are increasing. The pandemic has exposed a lot. The test of trusting you have revealed that, Lord, our faith is weak. And so, God, I'm asking right now that we would understand that we're, we're just being tested, and we can pass the test if we follow the instructions that are in your word. Father, we thank you and we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus.